storm Kira arrives this weekend across the UK. Travel disruption, power issues, and we're also expecting some very large waves. More evidence of our changing climate. Although there's large variation in the number of frosts we see in different parts of the country, the general reduction in frost is reflected across all regions. And what's it like to be head of the Met Office as a woman? Weather and climate is a very appealing field to women. I think now 60% of our young forecasters coming in are female. It's Thursday the 6th of February and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir and you're listening to Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. Calm skies will be a distant memory this weekend as the weather across the UK turns very lively. The Met Office has named Storm Kira the third storm of this winter season. Here with the latest details, Alex Deacon. Storm Kira was named on Wednesday, a powerful area of low pressure heading our way this weekend. But the storm system is, at the moment, forming across the eastern seaboard of the United States. And it's really over the next few days that it's going to intensify further as it interacts with what will be a powerful jet stream. Over the Atlantic, a very strong jet stream developing. And it's the exact interaction with the low and the jet that will determine just how powerful Storm Kira is as it arrives. So there is a bit of uncertainty, but there are warnings in force for Saturday and Sunday. Saturday's warning across northern Britain, gusts of 50, 60, maybe 70 miles an hour. Uh, those kind of winds likely to cause some travel disruption, maybe create some flying debris and uh, possibility of power issues as well. And then right across the country, Sunday, again, gusts of 50 to 60 miles an hour, even inland. And around coasts on Sunday, 70 mile an hour gusts. There is the possibility, depending on the exact track and intensity of this storm, of 80 mile an hour gusts. So again, that could cause travel disruption, power issues, and we're also expecting some very large waves uh, created by this storm. So there's the potential for coastal flooding. There'll also be a lot of heavy rain as this storm system moves through. So it's not going to be pretty on the roads at all. And so the potential for the heavy rain on its own to cause some issues. So there are a number of yellow warnings in force. Make sure you stay up to date with the very latest by checking those uh, weather warnings either through our app or our website. An active jet stream has kept the UK wet, windy and relatively mild this month. There has also been a distinct lack of frosty nights. The town of Morpeth in Northumberland, which has records dating back 135 years, recorded its first ever frost-free January. So is this a new climatic trend? Dr Mark McCarthy is manager of the National Climate Information Centre. We have temperature records for the whole of the UK going back to 1884, but actually the daily data with the detail in it is back to 1961. So we have a national picture of air frost in the country going back over 50 years. What we've seen in these data uh, going back to the 1960s is a decline in the occurrence of frosts. So whereas in the 1960s we were typically seeing for the UK about 60 or 70 frost days per year. In the most recent decade, that's been more like 50 to 55 days per year. Although there's large variation in the number of frosts we see in different parts of the country, 
the general reduction in frost is reflected across all regions of the UK. Here we're talking about air frost, so that's when the air temperature, which we measure in a Stevenson screen, falls below freezing. And the ground frost, which we measure with thermometers that are sat just touching the tip of the blades of grass, effectively. Um, so that the ground frosts have also been declining at a sort of similar rate. The decline in frosts is consistent with what we'd expect to occur with a warming climate. And that's what we're seeing in our minima temperature series as well. So the lowest temperature recorded through a 24 hour period has been rising by about a degree since the 1960s. What's interesting about this is that there's less evidence that there's a marked shift in the first frost of the winter season or the last frost in the winter. The sort of duration of frost risk hasn't actually changed much in recent times. And this can cause some particular problems for certain aspects of our natural environment and agriculture, where, for example, plant life has a lot more fresh growth on it that's been caught out by the first frost of the winter or the last frost at the end of winter. Although this winter's not over yet, it has been typified by only a few and relatively short-lived frosty spells, so quite mild overall. And in fact, January has been the sixth mildest on record. It is worth noting that although there's a trend to fewer frosts overall, there is still huge variability in our climate. So we can still experience severe winter frosts, like the extreme cold weather we saw at the end of winter 2018. Dr. Mark McCarthy talking to me earlier. Just this week, the World Meteorological Organization released their latest figures which confirm January as the warmest on record globally. Temperatures across Europe were 3.1 degrees above average and parts of northeastern Europe more than six degrees higher. These anomalies offset the colder than average zones of Alaska and northwest Canada. For the first time last year here in the UK, more female students studied science at A-level than males. In fact, since 2012, there has been a 10% rise in young women studying A-level science. This shift is the result of increased funding and initiatives designed to encourage young women to take up science, technology, engineering and math subjects. Next Tuesday, that's the 11th of February, is International Day of Women and Girls in Science, a United Nations event highlighting the work of women and girls in science and technology. To mark the event, I met up with Met Office Chief Executive, Professor Penny Endersby. Penny, thank you so much for joining me today because I know you're so busy. Thank you for having me. Don't tell me about the ins and outs, what happens behind the scenes as a CEO, but I can see there, there are some frustrations as well as some amazing things that we're doing here at the Met Office. Oh, it's an amazing job. Every job has its frustrations, but you couldn't ever say that it wasn't a fantastic job to do or a job that I don't love. What made you go into science in the first place? My father is an engineer and quite a lot of female scientists would say that. Actually, he didn't talk very much about what he did at home. I think you should really give credit to some of those early schemes for getting women into science. So I can remember being sent off to the Royal Institution on a Saturday morning for a series of lectures for talented mathematicians. I was a wise scholar when I was 17, and that was probably really influential. I went and worked in GEC Hearst Research Labs for a couple of weeks 
on fibre optics, which were new, new, new in 1987. They were really cutting edge and not that reliable yet. And that gave me my first sense of what research might be like. You studied at Cambridge, physics. Yep. Um, and then where did you go from there? I was sponsored through my university degree by British Gas. So I started off researching solid oxide fuel cells in their labs. And then they relocated and I had to find another job and I started work in armour for fighting vehicles. Right, I want to know about this. You were one of the people who designed tanks for a while for the MODs. Specifically the armour. I was aimed at light fighting vehicles, so how do you make tanks less massive? And my specialism was electrically powered armours, that's what I was recruited to do. That is absolutely incredible. And today we're talking about women in science, and I presume amongst that type of career path you perhaps didn't bump into many women, I don't know. I was massively outnumbered in that field, so defence is a very male-dominated field, it was quite heavy engineering, I was blowing things up, so when you do armour experiments, you know, out, out on an explosive range with explosive trials, but it was very, very male-dominated, and I think I was the first qualified firing officer, a female that they'd had, there were many more succeeded me, uh, but that was probably the point in my career where I encountered the most overt prejudice very early on. How did you set yourself apart or keep yourself positive and buoyant in those sort of environments? There were probably lots of other people who could have done just as good a job on the research who might have found that environment just too uncomfortable and off-putting, and mostly I didn't. So I took the jokes in good part. There were still girly calendars on the walls of the workshop, things like that, which I didn't like, but I lived with it. I can remember that if I used to ask for a change in an experimental design, the people working would go, oh, that's women's logic for you. But for me, mostly I was very happy, and I would say that having been in a tiny minority of women was a positive advantage because you stood out and everybody remembered you. It was an amazing foundation for what eventually materialised as being the CEO of the Met Office. When you think about where things have come from, it was dominated by men and now it's just a bit more balanced. I think that's the key thing. We're not here promoting women beyond the scope of men. No, that's true. I think weather and climate is a very appealing field to women and so Actually, we have not bad female representation for a physical sciences and computer science organisation. I think now 60% of our young forecasters coming in are female. We still have a leaky pipeline, so there isn't even representation of women across all our grades, and that's something we need to work with. And what's your vision for the next few years for the Met Office in terms of diversity and just supporting people coming through the ranks? It's really about the wider diversity. Diversity is about letting everybody come and be comfortable and be their best selves at work. And it's about drawing on the widest range of talent you can and bringing in fresh ideas. Penny Endersby, thank you very much. Thank you. As I mentioned, International Day of Women and Girls in Science takes place next Tuesday. You can find out more details about the event at www.un.org and more information on Met Office career opportunities at metoffice.gov.uk. Now, as we heard earlier, Storm Kira is set to hit the UK over the weekend. But how are conditions looking for the following few days? Here's Alex again. 
Storm Kira clears away during Sunday and Sunday nights. But that's not the end of the lively weather. Next week looks very, very blustery indeed. And crucially, behind Storm Kira, the air turns colder, much colder. Cold enough for snow showers packing in across Scotland on some very strong winds. Combination of strong winds and snow means blizzards over high ground. It'll be a very different feel across Scotland. Northern Ireland, Northern England also likely to see snow showers and those gusty conditions even across the south. It will feel colder next week with a significant wind chill and still those winds likely to be very strong through the first couple of days. It does show signs perhaps of calming down a little bit towards the end of next week. But just because Storm Kira has cleared out of the way this weekend doesn't mean an end to the lively weather next week. Thanks, Alex. Now here's Bonnie Diamond with last week's highs and lows. Here are your weekly extremes from Monday the 27th of January to Sunday the 2nd of February. The highest max occurred on Thursday the 30th of January when Aboyne in Devon reached a high of 14.4 degrees Celsius. Early Tuesday was the coldest night with temperature falling to a low of minus 6.6 Celsius in Loch Glascarnock in the Northwest Highlands. Tullough Bridge, also in the Scottish Highlands, had the wettest day. This was on Wednesday when 41.6 millimetres of rain fell. And Wednesday was also the sunniest day, with East Malling in Kent recording 7.2 hours of sunshine. Thanks, Bonnie. That's it for Weather Snap. I'm Claire Nazir. Producer this week was Adrian Holloway. Do join us again next time when we take a closer look at the weather headlines. WeatherSnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.